right. Well, let's go ahead and get started tonight, um, and uh, we'll uh, continue on uh, talking about uh, biblical change. Um, there's a lot that Scripture has to say about it, and we left off talking about uh, scriptural principle and the four areas um, specifically that this, the Bible talks about uh, uh, change uh, using the Scriptures. Um, and uh, we'll get into that in just a minute, but let's go ahead and uh, open with a word of prayer where we'll get started tonight. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we are again very thankful to be here, and Lord, we are just thankful that uh, uh, your provision has uh, continued throughout our uh, our lives and uh, with this church, and Lord, we just uh, continue to thank you for all the blessings that we've received uh, throughout this week, and uh Above all, uh, the blessing of salvation that we have in our life and uh, your Holy Spirit and your word that uh, even makes the discussion about uh, changing things in our lives possible. And Lord, I just pray that uh, tonight you would be with me and give me strength and uh, clarity of mind, that uh, the word would clearly be spoken in a way that pleases and honors you, and that also, Lord, our hearts would be soft, tender, ready to receive, ready to listen, ready to heed, and ready to do um, according to your word um, in such a way, Lord, that it would uh, just glorify you with everything that we do and say, including what we think, Lord. I thank you again for this time, and I pray, Lord, that this would just uh, be honoring unto you in your name. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So uh, we had uh, kind of left off over there talking uh, about over in Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, which is uh, kind of the, the main area where we start talking about biblical change um, and uh, from a counseling perspective, exactly what that means. Um, we talked uh, about, uh, you know, establishing, um, you know, if you will, the profitability of Scripture, why it is uh, important in a Christian's life in order to carry out the will of God and uh, do the work of the ministry in any way, shape, or form, um, and understanding that it is, uh, if you will, um, a provision for us. Uh, there is so much in there, hence the the reason why it's called water and and uh, and uh, bread or food, if you will, um, because those are things that are necessary for sustaining physical life. In order to sustain spiritual life, we must have uh, the water of the Word of God and, uh, again, the bread of life, as it is often referred to. Um, All those, again, you know, relating back to Jesus Christ and who He is and His connection with the Word. And that's the biggest thing, is uh, that this world will try all sorts of different changes, but they will try it without Christ. Um, You know, you're never going to get... Uh, um, this idea of uh, what people refer to as racial injustice uh, that will never be fixed uh, unless Christ is involved. Um, because, you know, it, when it comes down to it, um, you know, God doesn't care about the color of our skin. He cares about the salvation of the soul. Uh, he's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. And there's uh, there is no difference. It's not a respecter of persons in any way. So we see very clearly that, uh, um, you know, that is, that is evidenced, but people will try to do things, uh, and they will do it in a very humanistic way, a very humanistic way. Uh, I was just reading an article actually today about, uh, the, the rise of humanism. Uh, more and more people are starting to recognize that in this day and age, the prominent religion and the one that will continue all the way through into the tribulation period up until where Christ returns is the idea of humanism. Uh, it, it is at the root of every false religion. It is at the root of every atheist and agnostic. Um, it's uh, right there uh, prevalent from day one. Um, uh, the, the idea and the concept that uh, we are the most important person in the world. Um, but the idea that we see here in scripture is that it has to be a Christ-based biblical change. We talked about the Bible being holy. We talked about the Bible being uh, powerful and, if you will, uh, able and capable of uh, doing that change that we need in our life. And we left off with that, and we're going to say a little bit more about that um, as we continue on, because there's a couple of things I want to make sure that we hit when we move uh, into this kind of uh, vein of thought. But the 
The third one that we want to talk about is that the Bible is inspired and preserved. Now, why is this important when it comes to trying to make a change? Because if you don't believe that the Bible was written by God, and you don't believe that the Bible is preserved by God, then you might as well just grab a Dr. Seuss book and go for it. Because it's just, it, I mean, that's the equivalent. Uh, it, it, things that are written by man don't have the same effect as the things that are written in this book. Uh, people don't get that. The world doesn't get that. Why? Because the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, the Bible says. Uh, for the unregenerate person, uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense. The Bible talks about how that uh, um, somebody that is not a believer is not going to understand the things that are found in Scripture. Um, but what we find here in this passage is obviously we see in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we, we, we need to start there. And the reason why I'm tagging uh, preservation with this is because we need to understand it's a dual principle, or if you will, dual pillar, as some call it, upon which the word of God is based. Uh, it, it, you can have everything inspired all you want, but if it's never preserved, it doesn't make a difference. Uh, you can have preservation all you want, but if it's not inspired, it doesn't make a difference. Both of those are needed when it comes to the Word of God. Uh, and a person has to accept that and, if you will, receive it to understand the supremacy and the authority of God's Word to make that change. Because if, if, if you go to a mechanic and you want your mechanic to fix your car, you want to make sure he's using the right tools. You, you, you don't want to walk over there and, and see him over there with, uh, um, you know, something else, uh, maybe a screwdriver and a hammer trying to uh, change your oil filter. That's probably not the best way to do it. Now, I know sometimes people have to do that when it's stuck and things of that nature, and I get that. But but it's it's one of those methods of last resort. You don't want to see him over there, um, you know, uh, trying to do work on a tire uh, using Harbor Freight jacks. If if you don't know what that is, they just recently found that the Harbor Freight jacks were not rated properly, and uh, needless to say, they were collapsing on top of people because they were unstable. And uh, well, go figure. You buy a cheap jack, guess what you're going to have to do? Risk your life. So get good quality parts, get good quality uh, tools, get good quality things that are going to last. You want to make sure that your your mechanic understands that. You don't want to walk up to his shop and see that it's some tarp out in the backyard of his uh, 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 of his house or something of that nature. You want to make sure that he's got the right tools, the right lifts, and so on and so forth to accomplish what needs to be done if you're repairing the car. Well, the same thing is true. If you want the Holy Spirit to make a change in your life, you want him to use the right tools. And he's never going to use the wrong tools. The right tool is always going to be the one that he chooses, and that is going to be the Word of God. So let's take a look at a couple of passages, and we see here, obviously, very clearly, it says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We have to receive that and understand that if we want to make a true change. We can't sit there and say, well, I'm not going to believe that, uh, you know, Christ really said that. And, you know, you've got those theologians that go around and, if you will, start ranking whether or not it was truthful that Jesus Christ said those things or so on and so forth. And they have some sort of, you know, rating system. I'm like, well, if it, the Bible says he said it, he said it. I mean, it, it, it why, why can't we just accept that? Why can't we just believe that? Why can't we receive that? And therein lies the biggest issue with uh, with with counseling, is when people are presented w w uh, um, with the tools of change, the Word of God, they have to receive Scripture to do it. If they do not receive Scripture to make the change, then the change will not last. It will not be God honoring. Turn over the Book of Job, Job um, chapter thirty-two, Job chapter thirty-two, and. Uh, um, Again, just to kind of point out, Job is uh, often referred to as the um, oldest book of the Bible. Oldest book of the Bible, meaning that it was penned before Moses penned Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It doesn't mean that the events happened before that. It just means that this was one of the ones that they pretty much have said, 
looks like it was written way, 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 way before Moses even came to the scene. But what we find here, and, I, and the reason why I want to say that is I, I want us to understand a couple of things. Even if it was written post, uh, um, post-Moses, let's just call it post-Moses, uh, after the first five books, that's still a few thousand years ago. How much of the Word of God did they really have? They had the law. That was it. How much Word of God did Noah have? Written down? Nothing. Uh, how about Abraham? Nothing. I mean, you know, obviously the book of Job being written sometime after uh, Abraham because we find some Ishmaelites in the, in, in the book of Job. But, you know, it's interesting to understand that, and, and I want us to think about this for a minute. When we read passages, in, in, you know, like in the book of Job, where he says that he, he um, you know, holds the word of God very dear, uh, and, you know, that, it, that, that it's more important than his necessary food. Well, what was he listening to? He was listening to God directly. Take a look at this in chapter 32 in verse, uh, verse 8 here. It says, but there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. You realize that in order to understand the Word of God, you have to have God present. Uh, I, you know, having a bunch of unsaved uh, uh, historians or uh, people, you know, clamor around trying to to use it. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that people that are unsaved sit there and try to say, well, God condones abortion. No, he doesn't. You got people running around talking about, uh, you know, God condoning drug use or other uh, uh, sins that are out there. Uh, that, that, that God, you know, would condone, um, you know, things that that the world readily receives today, up to including, you know, uh, switching genders and things of that nature. Those are things that God does not condone. You know, what we find here is we find that, that, that the world, when they try to use Scripture to do that, they use it for their own destruction. You ever think about that verse where they twist it for their own destruction? You realize that they're going to stand in front of God and God's going to say, Hey, you know, uh, you remember that Bible verse you quoted that one time? As they stand there quaking and, you know, knees knocking together. Barely, barely even able to stand in front of the presence of the Almighty. And he says, you remember that? How come you didn't read the rest of it? How come you, you thought you knew what that one meant, but how come you didn't believe John 3.16? Or Romans 5.8? Or Romans 10.13 and 10.9? Acts chapter 16. How, how, how come you didn't believe those? But you used it for something else. Well, that destruction is, you know, that, that, that puts their life in peril, puts their soul in eternal jeopardy, puts their soul right there in the pit of hell and, if you will, right there in the lake of fire. There's the destruction. But what we find here is we find that he's talking about the inspiration of God being necessary to understand th- some things. And I'll tell you this, if you've got a person and you're trying to help them along and you're trying to teach them something, uh, biblically, scripturally, They've come to you and they say, I've got this sin and I need some help and I need some change and I know it's wrong and and I'm repenting, I'm turning away from the sin and I'm wanting to turn to God. And you say, okay, well, let's go ahead and let's open our Bibles. Let's take a look at what scripture says about it. And the person says, well, no, 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 no. You don't understand me. I don't want to look to the Bible for change. Then they're not going to understand a thing you say. They're not going to understand why sin is exceeding sinful. They're not going to understand why God considers things abominations. They're not going to understand why self-love and pride are things that God hates. They're they're not going to understand that. So it has to be this willing receipt. So when we're talking about the scriptural principle, you have to start with the idea and the concept and the belief saying, I believe that God is going to provide everything I need from Scripture. And as such, I believe the Bible's holy. I believe the Bible is powerful. I believe the Bible's inspired and preserved. And I believe it's profitable. 
Otherwise, you're wasting your breath. Yeah, you, you might as well go talk to the squirrel outside. He'd probably be more willing to listen if you offered him a few, you know, acorns or something. But you understand what I'm saying here is, is Job even understands that it's the that it's the work of God using that inspiration, the things that are inspired in Scripture, to make a change, to make a change. And he's talking about that spirit of man. How do we move from that spirit? How do we get somebody away from being in an angry spirit? Using anger incorrectly. Well, the Word of God talks about it. The Word of God goes through that, walks through that change. Turn to another passage, turn over to the book of Second Peter. Second Peter. Still talking a bit here about this inspiration. Second Peter chapter 1. And in verse 21... God says, for the prophecy came not in time, excuse me, in old time by the will of man, but by holy men of God, or excuse me, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That means that Moses didn't say what Moses wanted to say. He said what God wanted to say. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Well, we find things like that in Scripture. I don't know how many times I've had people say, oh, the Bible is just written by a bunch of men. And really, in order to get all of those men to coordinate over the course of time, you would have to have a conspiracy theory greater than the flat earthers and greater than the fake moon landings. And in addition, you also have to have Elvis and JFK involved somehow with Marilyn Monroe on the side. I don't know. You, you just it, it, There's just no way you could do that. Spanning the course of, you know, we've been on this planet for pretty much close to 6,000 years. Spanning spanning that amount of time? Let's just shave off a 1,000 years just, you know, for, for the sake of, you know, the flood and everything else. Let's, you know, pare it down some. So let's just say 4,000 years. Let's just call 4,000 years. You know, how 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 in the world would you coordinate that? How in the world would you coordinate that? They can't even coordinate a, 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 a legitimate COVID response by the federal government. They can't respond, you know, to, 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 to how inflation is, is harming families. How in the world would you get those, that many men and women and, and, uh, um, over the course of time throughout various different, uh, if you will, even uh, cultures, how in the world would you do that? We can't even get that far in our day-to-day lives. You try communicating to somebody, you know, in a household or at work, something you need done, how many times does it come out just completely just muddled beyond all recognition? But here we find that he talks about it and he says that it came by what? God speaking as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we find that inspiration there. That's the same one that's using it to teach. Same one that's using it to comfort. The same one that's using it to to guide and direct us. Take a look uh, um, at uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, I want you to see this in verse 1, it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Here we are talking about this in, in, in this passage he says, God spake in time past unto the Father by the prophets. God spake. So the things that the prophets said are the things that God's told them to say. I mean, we want to go back and take a look at Balaam, who did not say or was having issues with saying with what God wanted him to say. Well, God spoke to him in a very diverse manner. There he is on top of his beast of burden, and it turns around and starts having a conversation with him. 
I would say that's a diverse manner. <laughs> I mean, you know, and there's different ways that he talked. There's different ways that he responded. He showed up to Moses in a burning bush. That doesn't mean everyone's going to get a burning bush. You know, one of the greatest messages I've ever heard preached was when Doug Fisher was here and he was talking about uh, confirmation of the Holy Spirit moving in you and teaching you and talking to you and showing you things from Scripture. And he walked through and he was showing how uh, God uses patterns in people's lives to, to demonstrate some things. And I see it very clearly in my life and the life of other people. You know, from Scripture, we can see it in the life of Peter. What, how, did, how did God talk to Peter? He talks to him in threes. Talks to him in threes. There's a pattern that's there. There's a distinct pattern that's there. And the same thing is true with other individuals in Scripture. Same is true with us. The same is true with us. And here we are seeing again that God is doing the speaking. God is the one that's saying it. So this is, this is why it becomes critical. Because if you've got somebody that wants to make the change, and then they begin arguing about whether or not that Scripture is going to really truly help them, or whether they truly believe it, then, then, then you've already got the, 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 the principle of the supremacy and authority of Scripture. You've got it upended. It's not gonna, they're not gonna have an effect. You can't take any one of these away and expect the same result. Just like you can't take one of the wheels off your car and expect it to drive the right way it's supposed to. I mean, unless you massively convert it to a three-wheeler, but if you've got, you know, a motorcycle has two tires. Try taking one of them off. It doesn't run very well. It's extremely dangerous. Because you can't do a wheelie the whole way. So we, we, we begin to see that, that, that God has the same principle that we find here in this same passage. So we have to believe that it's actually God speaking. It's God telling us something. It's God saying, hey... Hey, this is what I want you to do. This is the change you need to make. And here's how you're going to do it. Here's how you're going to do it. You've got a problem with uh, anger and anger management and you just instantly go to wrath. What does the Bible say about a soft answer? Well, well, that's with the other person. Oh, really? Is it? Do you think we can use that again on ourselves as, uh, as well? That a soft answer turneth away wrath. There, there, there is anger right there at the door. There's sin lying at the door, as he told Cain. There it is right there, ready and waiting. And you sit there, and that verse comes to your mind, and you're like, well, I need to give a soft answer rather than yelling at the guy. That's a hard thing to do. I'll never forget when I, when I had my truck, and uh, I was over at Costco, and I was in the gas lanes, and I pulled in and it kind of it was a little squirrely to get in there because uh, this one gal, she was way over the line and she had a big old, uh, I forget what it was, like a suburban or some sort of tank or something, I don't know. And I, you know, weaseled my way over, but I was still within my lines, but I was like right there at the edge and then she couldn't quite get out and she was all upset and she's backing up and she's like, you know, cursing and flipping me off and all sorts of stuff and drives away and just starts yelling and screaming and Yells something at me and, and I, I, I don't know. Was, I, I responded to the spirit. Have a nice day. The Costco, the guy that was running, you know, the gas station over the Costco, um, we, he could, he couldn't stop laughing. He thought it was the, he thought it was the funniest thing. He's like, that is the best thing I have ever seen in my entire life. It's a soft answer. Soft answer. I mean, I could get angry. But you know what that soft answer does? Turns away the wrath inside me. We can use that a couple of different ways. Let's not pigeonhole ourselves into thinking, you know, one specific way. When the Word of God tells us there's different ways we can use it. It's a two-edged sword. I can use it on someone else, and I can also use it on me. I can cut myself at the same time I'm cutting someone else. Not that we're going to go around cutting people, okay? Just, you know, you're not going to go out wielding swords. Turn over to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 12. 
Uh, Psalms chapter 12 is, uh, is very clearly a, um, a passage that talks about the preservation. Now, the reason why this preservation is so important is because if people say, well, the Word of God's been changed so many times, and the Word of God can't be translated, and the Word of God is this, and we need to go back to the originals, and so on and so forth. Well, you know what? Good luck with that. And I don't believe in luck. Because a lot of the originals were destroyed. As a matter of fact, we actually find Jeremiah, uh, one of the originals was destroyed and it was recorded. What he wrote to a king. And the king got mad and cut it up. God said, write it again. Well, that's not original. It'd be a manuscript. It's a big difference. So when we start talking about preservation, I mean, if God can inspire, let's think about this. If God can inspire the word of God so that it is spoken exactly the way he wants it said, and at the same in the same vein, he can also create everything that we see here and also can hold us all together without flying apart into a million different nuclear explosions. And at the same time, save our souls and forgive our sins and give us eternal life forever and preserve us. Do we not think he can preserve some words? we got to believe that. Because somebody's going to go through and say, well, that's not really what it says. No, that's what it says. Let's just agree that that's what it says. The Bible says what the Bible says. If it's there, black and white, and in English, read it. Read it. And what does he say here in, in, in chapter 12? In verse 6, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And we'll talk to a... Uh, about that in just a, 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 a bit, um, when we're talking about, or excuse me, we did talk about it last week when we were talking about it being holy. But verse 7, he says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. He's going to keep it. He's going to preserve it. And somebody's going to jump on there and say, well, that's not talking about, that's talking about uh, the righteous and so on. So, no, 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 no. He's talking about his word. As you go back to basic grammar. Here he is, and he says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. He is going to preserve his word. He's a keeper. He is a divine keeper. You know, that's the important thing that we have to begin to understand. God calls us to be keepers. God calls us to be keepers. And he specifically, he says that's the role of the, uh, of the, of the wife in the house, is to be a keeper. And again, it's not just, you know, keeping the pantry stocked and full and the bellies fed. No, it's talking about keeping things that are spiritual in nature. It's talking about keeping things pure. It's talking about keeping things that are, you know, holy and righteous. We're talking about keeping things the way that they're supposed to be according to Scripture. That's that's her task. That's what she's given. That's a huge task. But let's also not forget, he also gave the same thing to the husband, too where he specifically said and condemned men of the home for not being keepers of their own household. And he was specifically talking about uh, um, spiritual things. So in the same vein, God, as he keeps his word, he expects us to keep that word too. Doesn't he tell us to keep it? Psalm 119, we studied all those verses. How many times did he say, I will keep, I will keep, I will keep, I will keep, I will keep. Same situation. We need to make sure that we preserve it in our life. So what does this mean? It means that if we've got the inspired, preserved word of God, then we believe that it is the final authority. There is nothing else that we're going to use. We cannot use Dale Carnegie's stuff. We cannot use Joel Olstein's. We can't use anybody else that's going to try to, you know, wow us with the power of positive thinking or anything of that nature. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't will it. So what we what do we do? We throw our will out and we follow the will of God. Now that becomes extremely important when we start looking at verse 17 back over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because that's what perfect is about. There's a willingness. And we'll see that in just a minute. 
But the last thing I want to talk about is uh, we we see over there in second. Uh, excuse me. Uh, let's go over to Isaiah. One one more verse. I forgot this one. Isaiah uh, chapter forty five. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter forty five. <clears throat> and. Um, this is this is a very telling thing in verse uh, 18 he says for thus saith the lord that created the heavens got himself with the form of the earth and made it and he established it uh he created it not in vain he formed it to be inhabited i the lord there is none and there is none else i have spoken in secret in the dark place of the earth i said not unto the seed of jacob seek me in vain i the lord speak righteousness i declare things that are right this is the word of God we're talking about. His, he, what he's establishing here with that passage is he's establishing, look, I didn't tell Jacob to go do this and follow me, you know, in some vain religious exercise. He did this and he specifically said that he's speaking righteousness and he's declaring things that are right. This is why it becomes important to understand that it is preserved and it is inspired. Because if it's preserved, it get it out here. If it's preserved and it is inspired, then that means it's going to tell us what the right thing to do is, and it's going to give us that path of righteousness that we should walk in. This is what the Word of God is important for. This is why we have to have that. This is why we believe that it is inspired and preserved, and it's inerrant. Meaning it is without error. I don't know how many times people jump all over that and say, oh, there's errors in it. Okay, point them out. If they can point out one of the ones that, 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 that people often call problem texts, they're readily explained by just a simple study of the scripture. You know, one king, it says 22 years and 42 years, and then there's a difference between it. Well, it all depends on who's reigning. And at one point in time, he was co-reigning with his, with his father. So one's talking about when he was reigning on it by himself, and one's talking when he was reigning with his dad. Uh, that's easily to explain. We do that all the time. There's tons of things in history that support that. But that being said, there's there, there's no error there. Because if there's an error, then what happens if there's an error in, in salvation? What if uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 wasn't exactly what he wanted it to say? And somebody wrote it down wrong. Where it says, for by, uh, it says, uh, um, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. What if the guy accidentally added the word not in there? What if he said it's by ourselves? How do we know? Well, this is where we go back to scripture with scripture, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. We have to go through and look at it. And anything that is not uh, um, uh, congruent with with uh, with the rest of the Word of God means that there's something that we have to take a look at. That's why it was very important that those translators for the King James Bible, when they were going through what they were doing and why they were doing it, they sat down and meticulously went over it. That was their job. That's what they spent their entire you know life doing. Speaking all those languages for the purpose of uh, learning how to, to to go through and to give you know the Bible to us that we have right here sitting in our laps. Amen for that. But as we see here, we 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 understand it's inspired and preserved. But the last thing we want to take a look at is over there in verse sixteen. He says that it, that it is inspired. It's given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. And it lists those things that are profitable. And what does it yield? I mean, when we start ta- talking about what it yields, turning back over there to, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, what does it yield? It yields those four elements of change that we are going to go into a lot more detail. Uh, it goes into doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now, he says those are the four things that we have that it is profitable for doing. And it's profitable because it yields a result that he mentions in verse 17, that the man of God may be... Perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Matches right up there with Ephesians 2.10. 
So what we see here is we see that he says that it is profitable, meaning that it's actually going to yield something. It's useful. You know, something that doesn't do anything for you is not profitable. It just takes up space. How much, let's just be honest, how much stuff do we have in like garages or storage sheds that just takes up space and is not being used? It's not profitable, right? It just sits there. And somebody else, what happens? They use it and they, you know, you give it to goodwill or somebody else buys it and pays it or you have a yard sale and collect money yourself and you, you know, you get all that money and somebody else goes and uses it for whatever they're going to use it for. It becomes profitable to them. Never forget, there was a time we had a yard sale and we were getting rid of a bunch of stuff and we had a bunch of that. You're, you know that uh, manufacturer called solder? It's the stuff that you have to put together like Ikea, but it's the press board stuff. You know, you put it together and you dare not move it. It's like permanent fixture. You don't ever move it. Because the minute you try to move it, it just like, you know, everything comes apart. And uh, we we were getting rid of that stuff and and uh, my wife was having a garage sale. I was at work, and uh, she she said we had a big one. It was for a computer desk. It was one of those ones that looks like some sort of bureau, and then you open it up, and a desk flies out, and you got all sorts of stuff. And then we had one for like the entertainment center, and these things. I mean, and they were big. They were big pieces. And she's like, "Well, we should sell them." I'm like, "Nobody wants that junk. Like, it just needs to go to the dump." And she said, well, "Okay, well, I'm going to sell it." And she she sold it. And this guy picks it. He, 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 she said he, he, he paid for it, was uh, going to pick it up later on, and, and uh, he said he was going to bring his truck. And then he rolls up in a two-wheel drive Chevy Love <laughs> with bad springs. And he loads these things on there. I, I mean, I, I swear I heard that Chevy crying. You put that, you know, we got those things loaded up in there, and, and and half of it is hanging out the backside. That's how long one of these things was. It's hanging out the backside, and he's got all these straps holding it down and everything. You know, it was profitable to him. We got some money out of it. It was profitable to him. The Word of God, we have to view it that way. We have to view it in such a way that we, we realize that it's going to do what we ask of God to change in us. We have to believe that. If we just kind of approach it skeptical, going, mm, you know, kind of like a scoffer or a scorner, well, we're not going to have the effect that it's going to, that the Word of God's going to have. Right. Take a look over at chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Here he says in verse uh, verse 15, he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I like to compare these two because he, when you start looking at this, he shows that obviously there's truth that exists. There's a way to handle the word of God. And the way that it should be handled and the profitability of it, the usefulness of it, shouldn't be for our own gratification and our own flesh but should be accepted of God. Should be accepted of God. The study habits that we have in Scripture should be acceptable to God. Not acceptable to college standards. Not acceptable to, you know, high school, I forgot I have a quiz tomorrow, study standards. Nothing like that. It needs to be studied. Studied. And it has to be in such a way that it's approved for, you know, as he says here, accepted of him. It has to be in such a way that, that, that a person is not going to be ashamed of it. Not going to be ashamed of it. There are a lot of people that are ashamed of the Word of God. They're ashamed that it tells people that there's, there, that they need, they need a Savior, that they have sin. There's some people that are afraid to even talk about sin. You ever see some of those interviews with guys like Rick Warren, Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn? Some of those guys they try to pin down to get them to say certain things about sin, and 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 you know they 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 it's like a politician. Like I'm not sure exactly what he said, but 
I think he said something. Dances around the issue. But the Word of God, the Word of God will build, if you will, confidence in a person. And I'm not talking about self-confidence. Confidence in God. Confidence in Scripture. Now, many times people are not confident in Scripture. Somebody was to come up to you right now, and I'm not trying to get, you know, super, super convicting here, but I want you to think about it. Somebody was to come up to you right now, like Philippian jailer, and say, uh, um, I, what must I do to be saved? Could we show them from the Word of God those verses? Could we show them the need for a Savior? Could we show them the provision of a Savior? Could we show them the giving of forgiveness? Could we show them how sinful sin really is? Could we show them those things? I mean, because it's powerful. It's powerful to quote it. I, I totally get that. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. But I'll tell you this. There's been times where I've quoted scripture and people just kind of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then you open up the Bible and you turn it to them and you read it upside down. Learn how to read upside down. It's a good skill. Um, and you read it upside down to them and you point out that verse right there. And they're looking at that verse. I've had people just sit there with their finger on the Bible just looking at that verse. Reading it over and 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 over again. And you can see the struggle, the spiritual battle that's going on. And the Holy Spirit pushing in their lives. You can see that conviction. That's not something we're ashamed of. That's the power of God. The power of God. It's, again, it's something that we look at. Uh, turn over to one other passage. Go over to Second uh, um, Peter one more time and uh, take a look at uh, chapter 3. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> Here's here 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 comes the usefulness of it. When I start talking about usefulness, we often think of usefulness in far, as far as our own benefit, right? We think of how is it going to benefit me. Well, I dare say that again, as as I've kind of alluded and stated before, um, if you're trying to do change for the sake of betterment of yourself, you need to rethink that. Because it's not about bettering you for you to be a better person. What it is, is it's about how are you going to glorify God? And you can't glorify God with sinful behavior. Just can't. So we realize that we need to change, not for the purpose of us being better or a better human being in society. It's it's about saying, hey, I'm I'm going to make a change because... God needs the glory in this. God is going to get the glory. And he will if we allow the Holy Spirit to use uh, the scriptures to do that. So in, in, in chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, And also, in all his, <coughs> pardon me, <clears throat> in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, talking about Paul, uh, Peter talking about Paul, in which uh, are some things hard to be understood which they that are unlearned and unable, or excuse me, unstable, rest as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Now here he is, here's Peter talking to Paul, or talking about Paul, and he's saying Paul wrote some things that really shook up some of the Jews. Majorly shook up some of the Jews. They had a lot of issues with that. What do you mean we, 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 we don't need to be circumcised. What do, you, what, what do you mean we don't need to follow those feasts and things of that nature? What, what, do you, what do you mean by all that, Paul? They were hard. And those that were unstable, and as he says here, those that were unlearned, they had a hard time understanding them. And what did they do? They took those scriptures and they misused them. Why? For their own profitability. The book of Galatians. All about that. 
bunch of Judaizers come in and start talking to Gentiles how they need to keep the law. Religiosity, pharisaicalism, all that legalistic garbage. And in the end, what do we find? You know, Paul says he condemns all that. And he says it in such a way, he says, who have bewitched you? And here he is talking, here's Peter talking about the things that Paul says, and, and he's saying, those guys that don't understand this stuff, what do they do? Just like with the rest of the scriptures, they rested under their own destruction. And here's the problem. If we don't believe that the Bible's holy, and we don't believe that it is powerful, and we don't believe it's inspired and preserved, and we don't believe that it is actually going to be profitable to us and useful in the method of glorifying God, then the problem is, is we're going to take scripture and we're going to misuse it and it's going to cause us more harm in the end. How many times I've seen Christian, Christian counselors try to give advice integrating, you know, modern day psychology into it to try to produce some sort of result. It makes the, it makes that believer go out of their mind. It messes with them. You start talking about cognitive behavioral therapy and changes, uh, uh, and, and, and there's this way that they're trying to go about doing it, and they want to do it in, in such a way that they think, well, it's, it's, it's scriptural because we're talking about the way we think. All right, granted, I get that, but look, it's not about the mind, it's about what's in the heart. Because the mind is going to think what's in the heart, because they're so closely connected in the soul. So if we don't change the heart... I don't care what you change cognitively. It doesn't please God. And it's destructive because it doesn't last. It's the things of Christ that are are, are, are valuable and last. I want us to turn back over uh, to to 2 Timothy 3. And I I want to mention something here. Uh, this This is often some things that, that that people have in regards to um yeah you know debate in verse 17 it talks about um as part of this uh what the scripture provides for us um and talking about you know being furnished unto good works all good works and again those are for the pleasing of the lord but it mentions that word perfect a lot of times people struggle with that word perfect, don't they? And if if I was to sit down in a counseling session and tell somebody, God is asking you to be perfect, generally what do you think my answer that I get is? Right. I get the I get the scoff. The Yeah, that nobody's perfect. Really? Turn to Matthew chapter 5. I want to see a couple of things. <clears throat> and this is why we have to believe the Word of God. And I'm using this as a purpose, you know, kind of, if you will, as an illustration of why those things that we just talked about, we've got to believe it. Now, we believe this is the Word of God, right? Matthew chapter 5 is found in the Word of God. And 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 who, who's speaking here in Matthew chapter 5? Jesus. Yeah, there you go. And how do we know? Because it's red. No. <laughs> no. Because we go back and we, we we read the context, right? Right? Right. Okay, there we go. <laughs> it's the context because in verse 1 it says, And seeing the multitudes, he, well, who's this? Christ, went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Even more revelation of who it is. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and then he goes into what people call the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, so on and so forth, principles of the kingdom of heaven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? <clears throat> now, now take a look at verse uh, 48. I'll let you read it, because you're going to read ahead anyways. <clears throat> now, there's no other verses to read after that. He ends the chapter there. Ryan continues on in chapter 6, and I get that. But but look at that verse. He says, be ye therefore perfect. 
even as your Father, which is in heaven, which is in heaven, is perfect. You know what happens to some people's minds when you read them that verse and tell them God just told you that? They explode. And then you're going to get the hyper dispensationalist is going to run along and say, ah, you can't use that. Okay, all right, let's go use 2 Corinthians then. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> I'm going to say, oh, it's for some, you know, it's it's for the Jews. and Well, no, all scripture is profitable. We just read that verse, right? All scripture. All, not some, all. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, <clears throat> verse 11. <clears throat> Here he is, talking to the Church of Corinth. Now, again, just humor me. Church of Corinth, would you call that a good, Bible-believing, you know, inspired church? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had, they had quite a few faults. <laughs> All of them had faults, to be, uh, to be honest with you. All of them had faults, but, uh, Church of Corinth seemed to have a few more than others and some, very firm and aggressive writing by Paul. But in verse 11, he says, Finally, brethren, farewell. And in his farewell address, you know, excuse me, he's closing, he's closing farewell here. He says, be, be perfect. Be of comfort, be of one mind, live in peace in the God of love, and peace shall be with you. You know why a lot of people don't have peace in their life? Because they're not striving for perfection. They're not striving under blood. They're just like, well, doing the best I can. Well, I get it. But we look at that word perfection, and again, we don't understand what that means. Because again, somebody's going to say, well, I can't do that. I can't be perfect. Man can't be perfect. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 6. <clears throat> so, Genesis chapter 6. Is that before or after uh, 1611? The year 1611. <laughs> <laughs> so, did Noah have a complete word of God in front of him? No. No. Not at all. <clears throat> What's going on in Genesis chapter 6? Well, you know, we go over there and we see that uh, in verse 5, and it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in uh, the earth, and that the, every thought of the, the, the uh, excuse me, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Just in case you didn't think God got sad. So he's going to wipe everyone off their face of the earth, including all the animals. That's how bad it got. Are we there yet? Not quite. It says that the earth was filled with violence. Uh, it looks like we're getting there. But not quite. I know he says it was in the days of Noah. Not quite there yet. Not quite there yet. Because in verse 11 it says, And the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. But go back up to verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Perfect in his generations. Well, somebody's going to argue and say that means something that it doesn't, but, but, but here he, he just said that he was perfect. Okay, well, we got one guy, right? One out of a few trillion people. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17 in verse 1. Here God is talking to Abraham, and when he is referred to as Abram, in verse 1 it says, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am the, uh, the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So again, did Abraham have the word of God in front of him? He had the word of God, though. 
Yeah, the Word of God. And I, I want you to see here, this was God's expectation of, not, uh, of Abraham. He wouldn't have asked Abraham to do it if Abraham couldn't do it. Noah did it. Job chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say about Job? Job 1.1. 1, 1. <clears throat> He repeats it in in, uh, um, in chapter two and verse three, and also in verse eight. Job one one. Just for the sake of time, I'm just gonna read this. It says, uh, "And there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and shewed evil." Let me ask you this: Did Job make some mistakes in the book of Job? If he repented of something, he did. Now, he didn't sin with his mouth, but he made some things, and God came along and corrected him. Corrected him. His friends made more grievous errors and sinned in what they did, but Job Job had some misunderstandings, and he had to get corrected. Just because you get corrected doesn't mean you're unperfect. Imperfect. Take a look at another one. Um, let's go over to um, Second Kings. <clears throat> Second Kings, uh, chapter twenty. Second Kings, chapter twenty. Here's Hezekiah. Second Kings, chapter twenty, in verse three. <clears throat> well, let, let's see what's going to happen in verse one. It says, "And in those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah." Son of Amos came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember uh, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it's interesting that he says that. I don't think Hezekiah was boasting. I don't think he was boasting. As a matter of fact, he says that uh, David walked with a perfect heart when he talks about Solomon and says that Solomon uh, did not far, follow after his uh, his father, David, uh, with a perfect heart. says the same thing about Rehoboam as well, with a perfect heart. Um, we see David praying that God would work in Solomon's heart over in First Chronicles um, uh, chapter 28, that, he, that Solomon would have a perfect heart. Uh, we, we see all of these things, and, and just again, to, to go back and mention, these are all individuals that we know made some pretty big mistakes. Noah made some mistakes. Abraham made a couple of mistakes. So being perfect means something different than what we think it means. But yet it's commanded. Yet it's commanded. And I want to take a look at a couple of these, and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm noticing that I don't have a lot of time. But I want to mention a couple of verses to kind of set this, this mood. Go over to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says uh, here, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here, here's how I'm going to frame this. When we start talking about perfection, it comes down to the willingness of the heart. comes down to the willingness of the heart. And we find that with these individuals. Noah was willing to build a, a, an ark. What was he doing? He was following God's will. Abraham was willing to leave his country and follow God's will. Both of them following God's word, what he, he, he told them. Uh, same with David. David wasn't looking to be a king, but he did it. 
he was willing. And what you find with the beginning of things with perfect and perfect heart is this. Is, is your heart willing to do what God tells you to do? Start there. Start there. Those that did not follow God with a perfect heart were those that were unwilling. Those that were stubborn, which is a sin. Those that were rebellious, which is a sin. Those that uh, refused to hearken, which is a sin. We find that it starts with the willingness to set your will aside and take up God's. To do God's will. To follow His Word. Take a look at Second uh, Corinthians, and we'll we'll end with this one. But I want to at least get to this first, Second Corinthians, <clears throat> chapter seven. Verse 1, it says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What do we find over there about Job? Job was perfect and he what? Feared God and eschewed evil. This verse matches up with exactly who Job is. And this is God's expectation of us. This is what God wants. He wants us to remove those things, cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. So here's how, here's where where we start seeing the rubber meet the road when it comes to perfection. We believe the word of God to be true and we believe it to be sufficient for everything that we need as provision to take care of all the cleansing of the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, then, then we will understand that if we follow God's word to do his will, we will begin entering into that perfection that God's asking for. Now, there's a lot more to it. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about this because a lot of people don't think it's possible. But it just, it, if we don't think it's possible, then we go against what God is telling us to do. But if we believe what God says about perfection, and it's not what we think it is, then we will get an understanding that it is attainable unto what God asks of us. So we're going to kind of cut it off at that point. There's a lot of more verses that I want to get to. But part of this, and part of this idea is that we get this understanding that what we do in this Christian life, it's going to boil down to the two relationships that we have. I mean, you know, when, 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 when God was, when Jesus Christ was asked specifically about the Word of God, specifically which laws and commandments, uh, he, he said that there was two, and the two that were the top are directly related to the two most important relationships, God and others. The first one being God. This is exactly what we're talking about. If we're not willing to do God's will, we're not willing to fear Him, and we're not willing to stay away from what God tells us to stay away from, and we're not willing to gravitate to what He tells us to gravitate to, then we are breaching that relationship. We can't expect to dwell peaceably among all men. We can't expect to have good relationships with our spouse, with our children, with the, you know, the body of Christ, the church, uh, co-workers, friends, whoever, you name it. If that first relationship isn't where it's supposed to be. I can't change the way that I behave towards someone else unless I change my behavior of how I respond to God. If I do that, then I can stop being a jerk to people. I can stop being an idiot. I can stop being one of those people that's aggravating. And I can start being somebody that edifies as we are commanded. As we're commanded. 
But we're going to go ahead and close a couple minutes over, but uh, we'll get back to that, Lord willing, next week. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for all that you've done for us, specifically here with your word. And Lord, I know we've just bitten off a, a small portion of a very huge subject matter. I pray, Lord, that we would just continue to think on it, meditate on it, begin to realize, Lord, that you've asked us to do something and you've given us all the provision to do it. We just have to follow you, believe your word, follow your word, and do that. Lord, I pray you just take us home safely tonight and bring us back safely on Sunday. And uh, Lord, again, just uh, be with our Bible studies on Friday night. Um, Again, Lord, I pray that those times would be blessed um, as we look to your word for continued guidance and direction. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.